Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let me also uh, extend a warm welcome to you and also just on to the announcements point. Uh, if you are interested in baptism, I would love to chat with you about it as well. So certainly there's a class and we encourage that and it's a wonderful time. We'll be teaching there as well, I believe. Um, but uh, I'd also love to just meet with you and to get a coffee and to chat about what baptism might look like for you uh, and to connect with you uh, about it. Um, with that said, uh, we need to look at the Word of God together now, and to do that, we need the Lord's help. So let's pray together and ask Him to, to guide uh, my words in that His Holy Spirit would apply the Word of God to all of our hearts. God, we, we look at this text and we are grateful that you're our God who um, reveals yourself to us in your Word. God, you reveal your truth to us in Scripture. Uh, Lord, you've not left us in the dark. On our own, it would be so difficult to just navigate life and, and things to, to figure out how it all works out. But, but you've spoken to us and you are helping us. And Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would help us now. Lord, that we would uh, believe what is good and right and truly true. That we'd be changed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would hear the warnings of this passage and take them to heart uh, to consider them deeply and to grow in our faith in Jesus this morning. We ask this in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. Um, well, a long time ago, the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates said this. He said that the unexamined life is a life that's not worth living. So the unexamined life is a life that's not worth living. And what he meant was that for you and I just to float through our lives and hope that things will work out will ultimately end up meaning that we don't live our lives very well. That we don't find the happiness that we'd like to find. That we kind of live unexaminedly and it just happens and then we're left holding the bag, so to speak. The unexamined life is not worth living. To live well, we must consider the purpose of our lives. We must ask hard questions. We must think about the reasons we do things and the reasons why we do those things. 
So, Cray City, I'm wondering this morning, I know this is hard thinking already at the beginning of a message. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, but I'm wondering, have we examined our lives? Have you examined your life? Have you thought about why you live the way that you live? Why do you make the decisions that you make? Have you thought about that the choices you make today, have you thought about whether they'll be worth it or that they'll have any impact by the end of your life? Have you thought about whether the choices that you are making in a day-to-day way are worth the suffering and, and the difficulty of those choices? See, as the Christian examines his or her life, there ought to be one answer that stands above all the rest for all that we do, for all of our worship, for all of our obedience, for the way that we live, for the way that we love others, for the way that we sacrifice, for the way that we strive to joyfully obey the God of the Bible. One reason should stand ahead of them all as we examine our lives. You know what that reason is? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It said, our Savior has come and he saved us from our sins and he's empowered us with his new life. And that one day he will return. Of that we are confident. That we'll be raised together with him. And from our vantage point now, everything that we do needs to be seen and considered with that end in mind. The examined life of considering the resurrected Christ. And the problem that was facing the Corinthians that Paul was dealing with as he was writing was that he's been struck by how profoundly unexamined the Corinthians' lives were. By how profoundly they had not thought through the implications of denying that there was a resurrection of the dead. Because they faced cultural pressure, they began denying the resurrection of the dead. And as we'll see in our text, there's a problem. <laughs> denying the resurrection of the dead, it's like sawing off the, the limb of the tree that you're sitting on. By the way, my little brother did that when I was a kid. It's a very, very funny story watching little three-year-old, I won't say his name because you'll meet him one day, and, uh, and sat there. I remember looking at it as he's sawing off the branch that he was sitting on. I'm like, look at this. I have a, a real-life example of the illustration and the proverbial statement. But to deny the resurrection of the dead is to saw off the branch that we sit on as Christians. So according to Paul, Christian faith without the resurrection is a life that isn't worth living. Now, I think that we could look down on the Corinthians from a certain vantage point and think how foolish they are, how dumb. It's a good thing we don't do that. But if we stop for a moment, we'll realize we're a lot more like the Corinthians here in Canada than we realize. I don't know if you know this, but a recent Barna poll, uh, a survey across Canada, said that 43% of people who checked the box and said, I am a Christian, did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? 43% of people who say, I am a Christian. Was Jesus raised to the dead? No. No, he wasn't. And of course, you know, there's no way of telling how thorough the Christian faith. That's them just checking the box. But that's significant, I think. Significant 
to know that there are churches that are only a few blocks from this church where I know that the ministers deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They believe that belief in the resurrection of the dead is just a remnant of the past that we no longer need to live faithful Christian lives. But Paul could not disagree stronger. He could not disagree more. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19, he carefully and he logically over and over and over relentlessly provides this litany of reasons of why Christianity will fail and fall apart like one domino tipping the next domino, tipping the next domino and the next domino if you begin with that first domino of denying the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrection of the dead, I should say. It all falls apart. So I have some bad news for us this morning. Uh, This sermon and this text is the negative side of the coin. It's a negative set of dominoes that happen when we deny the resurrection of the dead. Next week is the positive side. But in fact, Christ has been risen and here's all the good news. So we're going to go through, we're going to look at all the bad news and our outline honestly is just going to be all the things that Paul says happens, all those dominoes. I'll tell you what they are in advance. Number one, Jesus is not resurrected if the dead are not raised. Number two, Christian preaching of belief is in vain if the dead are not raised. The apostles are liars who misrepresented God. You're still in your sins. The dead have perished and your life is pitiful. It's a pretty bad list. It's a bit of doubt. It's going to be a downer of a sermon. I'm going to get that out front. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a downer of a sermon. This is, this is the word of God for us this morning. It has a lot to say for us that is good and for our instruction. It's my prayer that actually, as we consider our lives or life in general without the hope of the resurrection, that we'd be radically encouraged to lay hold of Jesus Christ, to trust fully in him as our resurrected Lord and Savior, and to, to maybe examine our lives and to live a little bit more consistently with who he is and what he's done. All right, so let's begin. Let's look at that first domino uh, that falls in our first point, verse 12. Paul says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, notice Paul doesn't say outright that the Corinthians denied Jesus' resurrection. Notice that. Sometimes I think we read this passage and we think, oh, they just denied Jesus' resurrection. I don't think they did that. The text doesn't say that. They denied, more generally speaking, the resurrection of the dead in a general sense. And why was that? Well, I think on the one hand, it was because they experienced the gritty reality of death much more intimately and deeply than we do today. Uh, so can I ask you, we're going to do a show of hands. It's a bit awkward on this level, especially, but and a bit painful perhaps, but how many of you have seen the dead? It's a good number, but I bet there's half that haven't. If we asked that question in an ancient culture, it would be 100%. How many have you, of you have washed and prepared a body for burial? A couple, just a couple. How many of you have felt firsthand the smell of, of decay? You've cared for the body, a couple. But in the ancient world, when grandma died, <laughs> the kids would be there with the parents. 
right? And preparing the body would have been a family ordeal. Being, being present together, dealing with the reality of death. They knew what happened. They were familiar with all the things that we have professionalized and sanitized and removed for us, uh, from us as a culture. Uh, I've watched uh, people at funerals, and I know that we've sanitized death so much that actually lots of people, when there's an open casket, won't even look in the casket. They've removed death so far, they don't want to be confronted with it at all. Now, this was a different culture, and in this ancient world, they were steeped in the philosophy of their age, and they didn't have any issue with the idea of the immortality of the soul. That they were cool with, right? Immortality of the soul, great. But resurrected bodies, do you realize, Paul, that those things decay? (laughs) To resurrect a corpse, that's just horrendously disgusting, Paul. And in our culture, it's so taboo that it's embarrassing to talk about. It's just gross. More than that, it actually sounds a bit Jewish. And as polite Roman and Greek people, we don't like that Jewish God because he cares about embodied existence and all that goes with it. But we prefer to just think that one day we'll jettison our bodies and we'll be in this perfect spiritual reality. And we don't have to deal with that gritty stuff anymore. And besides, it seems like a bit of a niche Christian teaching to believe in the resurrection of the dead. So why can't we just delete it if it's culturally inappropriate and then go along with what we have? What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) One commentator, Andrew Wilson, he summarized the Corinthians thinking well when he wrote this. The resurrection of Jesus might be fine as a one-off, they reason, The immortality of the soul, widespread in Greek culture from the classical period onwards, it's no problem. The idea that all of our bodies will come out of the grave, raised indestructible and destined to live forever, is a bridge too far. It is embarrassing, implausible, Jewish, and doesn't really matter that much, they appear to have argued. So let's drop it. So why not just deny the resurrection of the dead? What could possibly go wrong? Well, Paul's about to tell them. And Paul begins his brutal list of all that falls apart, all the dominoes that begin to fall when we deny the resurrection. And he continues in verse 13. Look at it with me. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, here's the first domino. Then not even Christ has been raised. There is no resurrection. Then not even Christ has been raised. See, on Good Friday in the early 30s AD, something happened. In the afternoon, Jesus breathes his last. And John 19 verse 30 records the event of his death with these words. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We read in the gospels that a little later, the soldiers took a spear and pierced his side. And that the pericardial and the uh, plural, I had to look this up, not a medical person. A fusion that was around his heart and lungs that it burst out and water and blood gushed out. And then after that, rigor mortis would have set in and decay would have begun. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then it was finished. It was just done for Jesus, for everyone else. That the dead aren't raised and Jesus is not raised either. Paul says. 
And if Jesus isn't raised, then the next dominoes continue to fall. And the next two dominoes he mentions are Christian preaching and Christian faith. Look at verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Because if Jesus died, then that was that. And every proclamation of the gospel that's come subsequently of good news, of a Savior who's come to save us from sin and its consequences, a Savior who's come to bring us life, then every proclamation of that message has been empty. There's nothing to it. It's just imagination and good feelings. There's no hope in Jesus. He's just dead. He can't help you and he certainly can't save you. So trusting in him, Paul says, is in vain. Do you guys ever play that game of trust growing up where you'd fall back and people would catch you, right? See, Paul's saying that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, without the resurrection of the dead, then Christian faith is just a game of trust where your friends leave you to fall on the floor. There's nothing there, nothing of substance. And that's significant to hold on to. Um, Chris, I don't know if you realize this, but Christianity is not like Buddhism. It's not like Taoism. It's not like Islam. It's different. The reason it's different is because if you find the body of the Buddha one day, what they're going to do is erect a shrine and Buddhism will flourish more. If you find the body of Muhammad, no big deal. If you find the body of Jesus Christ, I'm going to quit my job. I will. I'll be the first one. I'll cash it in. I'm going to go move to a laid back ski resort somewhere and homeschool my kids in the mountain. It's going to be great. You know, you can come and hang out with me. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Christianity is not worth living if Jesus is not raised. It all falls apart. There's nothing to it. And that leads to this third domino because Paul says without the resurrection of the dead, that means then that the apostles who claim to have seen the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, after he was raised, they're a bunch of liars. <laughs> they're the greatest charlatans in history, right? They died for their, their Ponzi scheme, which is crazy. I don't know why anybody would do that. I, I, he would have, you know, given up and said, okay, you got me. You know, uh, 11 of the 12 original apostles were all killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord that they saw. But if he was not raised, then they have begun the greatest Ponzi scheme the world has ever seen. And that's it. And it's over. And trusting in their words or any words since then is all a lie. And they're going to face a judgment of God for misrepresenting him. Look at verse 15. Paul says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. We being the apostles. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. See, if the dead are not raised, Jesus was not raised. If Jesus was not raised, Christian preaching and Christian faith are empty. And that means the apostles are a bunch of liars. And Paul continues in verses 16 to 17 and says, if the dead are not raised, the next domino to fall is that the Christian faith is futile. We're still in our sins. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Futile. It's a strong word. And, and note that word. 
As Paul said earlier in verse 14, that without the resurrection of the dead, then your faith is in vain. This is a different word. He says something different here. He says, without the resurrection of the dead, your faith is futile. Empty or vain faith is to believe something that has no substance, right? It's all just good feelings and emotion, but like a soap bubble that looks pretty for a little while floating through the air, you pop it and it's gone. That's empty, vain faith. Futile faith is a faith that's sincerely believed and, and held on to, uh, but that actually can't accomplish anything. Endless work and labor with no effect. You're working at it and laboring at it in futility. Uh, the myth of Sisyphus in ancient Greek mythology, I think, describes this well. It's like Sisyphus. He was condemned to roll a stone for eternity up a hill. And then whenever he got to the top, the stone would roll back down to the bottom. And then he'd walk back down and roll that still up to the top again. And then when he got there, it would roll back down over and over and over. And that was his condemnation. Paul's saying, your Christian faith is like Sisyphus without the resurrection. All that labor for Jesus is empty. Paul's saying, Corinthians, every sacrifice that you've made, every act of obedience, every moment of repentance or self-denial, it's all just futile. Think about that. If the resurrection of the dead is not true, then when you live following Jesus in this life, it might be true that you'll help someone out for a little while and make a difference, but then they'll just die. It might be true that, that you'll fight some evil for a little while and make things a little better somewhere, but then as soon as you're finished, it's like the, the heads of Hydra, the snake, right? You chop one off, another one pops up in its place. And it overwhelms you with, with just the, the horrors and, and the, the evil and, and there's no victory in it. It's empty. It's futile. And faced with futility, what hope do we have then to keep on laboring for Jesus? I have a friend I was thinking about as an example of this and they're not a Christian. Uh, they don't have any hope in, in the resurrection, uh, but they've been affected by this Christian ethos and this Christian morality of doing good to others and to the suffering and the vulnerable of this world. And they wanted to follow that through to the point that they actually moved to Djibouti for a while. And if you don't know, Djibouti is a little country in Northeast Africa. It's got Eritrea on one side and Somalia on the other side and uh, Ethiopia on the other side, the Red Sea on the other side of that. And then across the Red Sea is Yemen. And because Djibouti is like the one country that's sort of stable in that region, there's tons of refugees that wind up there. So it's a great place to go to do work with refugees and refugee camps. But she went there and she, she was laboring and she was just crushed by the horrors that she saw. Right? Because it's not like a little bit of suffering. These are people that have faced atrocities on scales that are difficult to imagine. And encountering horror after horror and just seeing the seemingly endless problems in this world and how futile her labors are, her spirit was crushed. And she left a broken person and went back home. I had no hope. Without the hope of the resurrection, she wasn't able to endure the hardship she faced. And she had no hope that her efforts would ultimately accomplish anything that matters. I think that hopelessness is for good 
reason if you don't have hope in the resurrection because Paul says that without the resurrection, our faith is futile and the fifth domino, 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 he said at the end of verse 17, you are still in your sins. See, the good news of the gospel is that we're freed from our sins and its consequences. That the life of God, the resurrected Christ has begun its work in us, that we can be changed and different. That's good news. I want to be forgiven and changed and different. I think you do too. It's wonderful good news. But without the resurrection, what hope do we have that sin will be gone? Paul says you don't have any. You're still in your sins. What hope do we have that the great tyrannies of evil in this world could possibly be stopped even one person at a time? We don't have any. We can't be raised to walk in newness of life ourselves. And there's no hope that other humans who perpetuate great evils in this world will be freed from their sins either. We're all still in our sins without the resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus has already begun its work. You don't just wait one day to be raised physically. As we trust in Jesus Christ today, the good news of the gospel is that that life, that resurrection reality begins in us. It's already started. Starts because we start to live different. We live by the power of the Holy Spirit to be freed from sin, to walk in joyful obedience to God. But if we're still in our sins, like Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then that anger and that bitterness that consumes your heart, it's always going to be there. Then that selfishness and hatred that leads to great oppressions and tyrannies, it's never going to change. That lust that leads you to treat others as a means to your own end in human and inhuman ways, it will always win out in your heart. Then the good that you'd like to do, well, it's great wishful thinking, but you'll never be able to do it. Not when it requires true sacrifice. Not when it requires truly taking up your cross and following Jesus. And this is a really important point, Christ City. I think it's important because today we live in this very interesting time. We live in a world that, that right now in our generation probably has the highest ethical and moral expectations for any people on planet Earth in history. Because you're expected to be someone who takes responsibility for your friends, for your neighbors, for the mentally ill in our city. You're expected to be a sacrificial person who cares about our environment to the point of sacrificing so much comfort in your life to make a difference. You're expected to care for the poor and the downtrodden and all those around you. But does our world equip and empower you for the virtue necessary to live like that? It does not. In fact, it does the opposite. It says, you know what? Here's a whole bunch of Netflix. <laughs> It says, you know what you should do? You should do whatever makes you happy. You should follow your heart. And when it stops making you happy, don't do it. But do you notice how different these things are? You can't mix sacrifice for the good of others in extreme ways and always pursue yourself and be happy. Live your best life now. They don't go together. See, aside from the power of the resurrection, we will not be able to live eternally for the glory of God and the benefit of others. 
without a savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself in love for us and whose own life of self-giving love has taken root in our hearts, you won't be empowered to live differently. You're still in your sins. And can I just say, as attractive as it sounds to us sometimes, this is where Christians who believe that all we need to do is do good and never speak the words of the gospel go so wrong. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, who really lived, who really died, and really was raised, empowers every social transformation that takes place in the hearts of Christian people. You can't have one without the other. See, without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no regular good that can be done in our lives in an ongoing way that requires endurance. But there's also no remarkable figures in human history of Christians who've done remarkable things for Jesus. Without this resurrection change, there's no Mother Teresa leaving all that she had and moving to the slums in Kolkata. Without the resurrection, there's no William Carey who left his comfortable home to suffer and spend his life in India, laboring to transit the Bible and to help those that were uh, under the tyranny and oppression of the East India Trading Company. There'd be no William Wilberforce who led the change for abolition, right? The David versus Goliath story uh, of recent generations. This one person fighting the whole economy that was built on slavery. He wouldn't have sacrificed. It would have been too hard, too hopeless. He wouldn't have done it. There would be no orphanages started in brutal and war-torn places. No deeply sacrificial hospitality that opens the doors of our homes at great expense and welcomes the poor, the suffering, and the lonely. Because lasting good in this world is only lasting when it's undergirded by the gospel of Jesus Christ who died to save us from our sins and who was resurrected to fill us with his new life. It's futile without the resurrection. And that leads to the sixth domino because one enormous reason Christians have lived remarkable lives of faith is that they haven't been afraid of death. Isn't that incredible? I'm so struck by this in the history of Christianity. Christians historically have not been afraid of death. I mean, yeah, we're afraid of death, but not in a way that stops them from living faithful lives for Jesus. The first martyr, Stephen, in Acts 7, boldly testified about repentance of sins and the necessity of being forgiven by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Savior, and died for it. We read that last week. James, he was the first apostle to die for his faith. And in Acts chapter 12, we learned that in his faithfulness as the first leader of the church, uh, or the second leader, I guess, after Peter, in, in Jerusalem, he was killed by Herod for his faith in Christ. We read about Paul a lot, of course, who wrote this letter. But later on in Acts chapter 21, verse 13, as he's going to Jerusalem because he's so compelled to bring uh, the message of the gospel to follow God's uh, testimony and his, his work in his life, he's going there and then he keeps encountering prophets who say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to tie you up, imprison you, and kill you. And Paul says in Acts 21, 13, these words, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's countless martyrs in history that have suffered courageously and boldly because of their faith in Jesus and their confidence in the resurrection. I've met some of them. 
had the privilege of meeting these courageous Christians uh, in different parts of the world. One who is a young man whose parents were Muslim and converted to Christianity uh, in central India. And, and his great burden was that I want to go back and tell my parents about Jesus, but I'm scared because I know they're faithful Muslims and they'll kill me if I do. And he went and told them about Jesus. Trusting that what's the worst they can do? I love them and the worst they can do is kill me. I know another man that I met who traveled across borders regularly to go to church because church was forbidden in his country. And he was traveling across borders regularly knowing that if he was caught with a Bible again in his hometown, he'd be beheaded. But I'm not afraid of death because Jesus raises the dead. I'm going to keep following my Savior. And it's not just Christian martyrs and Christians who are persecuted who are so changed by this hope of the resurrection. It's us too just living our regular lives. How many Christians have died faithfully and have endured faithfully through the terminal diagnosis because they have hope in Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you, talk to the professional healthcare workers in their congregation who've dealt a lot with death and they will tell you stories of men and women of faith of all ages who have died with hope in their hearts, with courage in their hearts, faithfully holding on to Jesus, singing songs of hymns and praise, surrounded by loved ones, faithful testimonies of a God who raises the dead. See, Christians don't need to despair when it comes to death. We mourn death. We weep in our suffering. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope when we face death. But Paul says in verse 18 that the sixth domino to fall if the dead are not raised is that those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. It's all nothing. There's no eternal hope for the Christian. And those who die with hope in Jesus just died. And that means that our lives as Christians aren't just hopeless or futile, but Paul says they're pitiful. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's remarkable. (laughs) More pitiful than the committed and embittered atheist. More pitiful than the deeply selfish hedonist that just pursues every drop of pleasure in their life. More pitiful than the person who's just propelled through life with no hope, propelled by guilt and by shame. More pitiful than the suffering addict. That's incredible. You know, if someone asked you, right, imagine you walk out of here and someone says, hey, you're a Christian, can I ask you something? Like, would it make a difference for you in your life if Jesus wasn't raised? Would you say, yeah, my life is pitiful without the resurrection? Or would you be a bit more tempted probably to say something like, you know, I'm going to be pretty noble about this. If Jesus wasn't raised, you know what? It's still fine. Like, I lived a good life. It was all worth it. All that sacrifice, all that labor, you know, it's, it's worth it. If you feel that way and think that way, which I think is common, Paul couldn't disagree more strongly with you. He says, that's not the way to think about things. Your life is pitiful 
without the resurrection, he says. And in verse 32 of this same chapter, he says, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If the dead aren't raised, then go and live a good and happy life and find the pleasure you can find. You only got a few days. Might as well make the most of it. It's been a cheerful message, hey? Well, as we, as we conclude, let me ask you this. Have you examined your life? Have you thought through why you live the way you live as a Christian? See, I think the most important answer that you can have or that you can give for yourself or for anyone else is this. Has Jesus in fact been raised from the dead or hasn't he? And if he hasn't, then stop coming here. I'm serious. Go find a different life. But can I say, if he has, then maybe we need to examine our lives a little bit more. If he has, are we living like he has? If he has risen, then he's the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords who has authority and power over all things. If he has, then his spirit of resurrection life is coursing through your veins. If he has, then he's defeated the power of Satan and sin and in death, and he's called you to participate in his mission of bringing life into this world. If he has, then one day he will return and you will stand before him and he will say, as you live for him, well done, my good and faithful servant. So the problem we have, I think, that leads to only 43% of Christians in Canada affirming Jesus' resurrection is that we're all just like the Corinthians. There's a commentator named Lyle Vanderbrock, and he wrote about them. He said, the Corinthians were simply trying to be Christians with a minimal amount of social and theological disturbance. Sounds pretty good. We're like, I, I, can I get that version of Christianity? <laughs> I want all that I want right now, and I want all that Jesus promises at the end. <laughs> can I have it both ways? <laughs> the answer is you can have it abundantly both ways, but through sacrifice. The joy of walking with Jesus and following him and suffering with him and serving him and loving others is a good life. But it's a life of sacrifice now and great reward later. So Christ City, what would you change today if you knew that Jesus was returning to raise the dead tomorrow? One life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Would you pray with me? Jesus, there is so much evidence that you have, in fact, been raised from the dead. Lord, how do we account for the way that it's historically undeniable that the world was changed starting around 30 AD? How do we account for all those early witnesses who, who were willing to die for their faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ? 
But God, if we're honest, we don't really want to reckon with you being raised sometimes because we don't want to have to give up the things that we're holding on to in this life. We don't want to let go and follow Jesus and get all the way in the boat with him. So Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. Would you, would you work powerfully in us by your Holy Spirit to show us that you are the God who has loved us? You're the God who forgives us. But you're the God who also backs up your love with great power and authority. And that you are the resurrected Lord of all. When you give us courage to live for you, not part way, but all the way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.